from Los Angeles, California. This is Burncast, and I'm the bomb. On today's episode, we speak to Loki, the owner and creator of the Cloud9 art car that's been floating around the playa since 2003. If you're playing the three playa community drinking game at home, please note that we not only drink to the word community in this interview, but to the idea of sex, specifically sex on the Cloud9 as well. I'm Loki. Well, I just want to start by saying community. We are podcasting live from Venice, California. And he said the word community, so let's drink. Okay. And I just said it too, so that's a double shot. <laughs> now, Loki admitted he doesn't listen to our podcast, so he doesn't know anything about this game. Do you think you know the rules now, enough to explain them to our audience? I think so. Every time you mention the C word, <laughs> you have to drink. <laughs> and apparently so does everyone else listening. <laughs> They're playing along at home. Okay. Yeah. Right. Playing along at home. Okay, so Loki, you have this wonderful little art car called the Cloud Nine. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got started with it and how long you've been doing it? Well, I first went to Burning Man in 2001 and just really had a great time and really blew my mind and all that stuff. And one of the things that I was really impressed by was the art cars. After going for a couple of years, my friend Dank and I decided that it would be fun to maybe have our own art car. And I have a good friend, Reverend Gadget, who is a brilliant, brilliant guy and a brilliant mechanic and a brilliant fabricator of all sorts of things. And he kind of gave me the notion that, you know, I could build something and bring it to the playa. So fortunately, he was my guiding hand and he uh, taught me how to go to a reclaimed auto auction. And sometime in the summer of 2003, I bought a 1990 Ford Escort <laughs> that had been left on the city streets of LA. Still ran, barely, but it was really in horrible shape. But I didn't care because it only cost me $200. Oh, wow. I took it over to Greg's shop and proceeded to cut the body off of it. You so, did it all yourself? Pretty much. Had you ever done anything like that before? No, I had done some construction before and tinkered around with some things, but I, you know, I'd never done any sort of metal work. Didn't know anything mechanical. Didn't know how anything about motors or anything like that. So you know, it was all a big education, which was great and uh, frustrating, and a lot of work, <laughs> and you know, annoying in some ways. <laughs> what? Tell me about that part of the process. Why was it frustrating, annoying? Well, because I didn't know anything at all. Everything, single thing that I did was like a huge learning experience. Just cutting cutting off the body for somebody like Greg or anybody who's mechanically inclined, you know, it would be a, one afternoon and they would have done everything. For me, it took weeks. I didn't know anything. I didn't know how the tools work. I didn't know what steps followed what. It was just like everything was a huge learning curve. Mm -hmm. So... And I would go to, to Gadget and say, hey, what do I do next? And he said, oh, it's real simple. You just do that. And I said, oh, great. So I go out there and just try to do what he, he said. And, you know, I didn't even know the basics of what he was talking about. So it would take me five times longer to do everything. So that was frustrating. But in the process, I learned how to weld. And I learned how to, you know, work with the motors and engines and ended up making the first Cloud9, Cloud9 Mark One. <laughs> which basically I had cut the whole body of the car off and made a big like kind of seating platform. And then we covered it with giant bean bags. Cute. Then we had a little itty bitty canopy of black lights Cute. over the driver's seat. And the first thing that I did was I, I put the driver's compartment over the engine and then I re-rigged the steering so that it came straight up through the car and up to 
the driver's level, so wow. went straight up. Then rerouted the gas and the brakes and everything else like that so we could drive. So we ended up sitting on top of the engine driving backwards, <laughs> you know, which was really a great Burning Man kind of thing, <laughs> you know. This was 2003? This is 2003, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, you can see pictures of it on our website. It was very, very basic. Ended up taking that to Burning Man, and after many, many hours of work... I was kind of disappointed when we got there that it didn't run. Uh, we had some sort of electrical problem, and you know it didn't recharge the batteries, and we couldn't get it fixed in time, and it was kind of a, a mini disaster. But as soon as I rolled up in Burning Man and unloaded it, you know we had instant friends from our neighbors, and lifelong friends at this point, anyways. And everybody really dug it, even though it was ugly as sin, and <laughs> you know didn't run and everything else. It ran a little bit, and that was all that it needed to do. You know, just ran a little bit out and onto the ply, and then it would die, and then we'd have to charge the battery again and get it going again. It immediately revealed itself to have supernatural powers, which were people fell in love on the cloud all the time. <laughs> Is that what you mean when you say Cloud Nine does it again? Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's it's amazing. You know, whenever we take Cloud9 out on the playa, people jump on because it's, it's first of all, you know, it's a very big, cozy thing. The first year it was covered in bean bags, and then subsequent years it was covered in either textured foam rubber or big cushions covered in faux fur. And, uh, you know, it's very cozy. People get on the cloud, they get comfortable. One thing leads to the next, and next thing you know, you have people making out or Having more. sex. Having sex, yeah. Have quite a bit. Pretty often, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty often. And, you know, of course, on the playa, that's not that big a deal. But it is kind of nice that you, you, you have that kind of <laughs> Love effect machine. on people. Exactly, exactly. It's kind of like, oh, okay, well, this is kind of nice. Boy. I'll drink to that. Okay, cheers. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that was 2003, and then it, it changed. Yeah, so then, there's- you know, the following year, I, I concentrated on making it run. And so <laughs> we, we spent a lot of time making it you know, working on the engine and trying to get it to work. And uh, also there were some cos- cosmetic things that went on with it. Changed from bean bags to a, a more textured mm-hmm. foam rubber thing that was this big ordeal to get, like, chipped foam rubber and, like, spray it into shape and glue it all into shape oh. and then cover it. My goal was always to make it look a little bit more cloud-like, and it, that goal is still eluding me, but each year it gets a little bit better. Gets closer. It gets a little bit closer. So we spent a lot of time the second year trying to get it to run right and thought that we had had it nailed, but when we got out to the playa, we found out it had exactly the same problem. This was 2000... 2004. Four. Okay. Yeah. That was a real big disappointment. We got we put a lot of work into it and still had the same problem. That's when the second true nature of cloud nine started to reveal itself and that is that it takes a heck of a lot of work to make it run and it's it's always a huge learning curve just when you think you've figured it out or you've learned something you find out that there's a lot more to learn and what you thought you knew was maybe wrong or or incomplete now is this a buzzkill when you're on the playa well it was a little bit especially the the second year you know i was really determined to have it run especially after putting basically two years worth of labor into it and thinking that I had it figured out. So we spent a lot of time, probably a couple hours each day, working on it, trying to get it to work. And also tracking down people and trying to elicit help and trying to find parts. I had a friend that year who actually was going outside. He came to the burn with us and then he left to go pick somebody up. And I sent him on a mission to get a new battery and get a new alternator and parts to fix it and we actually had like parts come in to Burning Man and you know, we were trying to fix it on the playa and it never oh. worked I mean it worked 
Marginally, you know, we we get to go out for like you know an hour or so, and then the battery would be drained because it wasn't being recharged, and the spark plugs wouldn't fire, and it would be dead. So fortunately, we had a little generator and a battery charger, so we could charge it back up again and kind of get back operational in a few hours. But it wasn't quite what we had in mind. Ultimately, I think the lesson was that you don't have control over things in the universe. You know, you think you do to a certain extent, but really there's outside events that and forces that, you know, beyond have their own control. way. They're, yeah. they're beyond your control. And no matter how much effort and how much time you put into something, sometimes it's just not going to come out the way you want. I've always been a person who's kind of, in a way, I'm not infallible at all, but I've always kind of determined my, determined my own destiny. Whichever direction I wanted to set out in, I knew that if I put enough work and enough mm-hmm. effort into getting to where I wanted to go, that I would get there. The cloud was one of the first big wake-up calls that, you know, the universe doesn't always play ball that way. Mm-hmm. Even despite the problems with that, there's some benefits that if you can kind of like walk away from the disappointment for a while or just like let go of it, you could see the silver lining. And part of that was the community. In that, you know, I was forced to be not self-reliant. There was things I could not do on my own. And I had to go out and find help. And for somebody like me, that's that's kind of a, a foreign thing. You know, I'm used to being a one-man band and kind of solving all the problems. And just, you know, if it takes staying up all night for a couple days in a row, then that's <laughs> what it takes. You know, you just got to do it. You know, here I am in a situation where there's a lot of things that I didn't know and a lot of expertise that I didn't have, even tools that I didn't have, that I really had to rely upon a lot of other people with all the you know plus pros and cons that that entails. So the second year, the cloud didn't work too well again. How did 2005 fare? Well, 2005 decided to do a major reworking of the cloud. In addition to some cosmetic things, we ripped out the, the gas motor and replaced it with an electric motor and uh, a battery subsystem and a uh, onboard charger and a gas generator to charge the batteries. So we made a a hybrid cloud. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah. And that was really cool. When I first started working on the cloud, I didn't know anything about automobiles or welding or anything. And, you know, now I was up to even a a higher level of learning about stuff that I was really interested in. So that that was great. But, you know, as usual, every advance, you know, <laughs> every step forward was two steps back. We had problems, growing problems, basically. How did it run? It ran better than ever, but still not perfect. We should have had a lot more range than we did, and a lot of times uh, we would run out of electrical power and just be forced to park it for a while and let it charge up. You know, it wasn't the end of the world, but... And when you came back, were people screwing on your... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> so, you know, there's always... <laughs> There's always pluses, you know. It's 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 an ongoing process for sure. And this year the challenge is that basically I hadn't planned on doing much modification this year. I was just going to try to debug the electrical problems so that we didn't run out of juice this year. And we were going to take out the transmission and just put a, the motor directly to drive the, the drive shafts because that's where I thought we were losing a lot of power. I was all set to start work on that last month and I broke my wrist. So here I am once again. With your dominant hand you broke your wrist. Yeah, too. with yeah. my left hand. Uh, once again, I'm forced to rely upon other people to kind of make my dreams come true, which is an uncomfortable position for me to be in. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I, I, I'm coming to realize that now, because maybe because it's the fourth year of the cloud, or maybe because it's just more together and people can kind of get the concept, you know, people are much more willing to come and help. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I'm really surprised, actually, that I've gotten so much help so far. Getting it moved back to the shop where it needs to go. Getting it stored. Getting it stored. People seem to be genuinely interested in, in making the cloud run again. So that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Something that I did, in a way, kind of selfishly, to have my project and my wheels and my art on the, on the playa has now kind of become a little bit beyond me. And other people... Are invested in their stakeholders yeah. in it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. Tell me about the, the, your team. Who's the Cloud9 team? There's really just Dank and I. Yeah. We like Dank. Yeah, Dank is my best friend for several years. My co-conspirator who got me into Burning Man in the first place. Aside from Gadget, who is our guiding mentor and expert that we call upon whenever we don't know anything, which is quite often. Dank has always been there to, to come out and help and learn all this stuff that I've been learning at the same time. And do it with a smile. <laughs> yeah, and motivate me and keep me going. It's been really... Actually, it's been really good for our friendship to have something like this to, mm-hmm. to work on together. It's fun. Way to go, Dank. Good job. Thank you. I'm curious. How much money have you sunk into it? I don't know. It's probably uh, more than $5,000, less than ten. I put a lot of steel into it, and steel is really expensive now. Last year, I probably put over $600 in just steel on it. That, that wasn't major structural stuff. So in previous years, I put on major stru- structural stuff, and that's been more steel. And of course, last year, we put in a $700 electric motor and 10 batteries. And <laughs> I, I generally spend over $1,000 a year on it, so it adds up pretty fast. Yeah. You know what we didn't talk about was kind of what I what my goal with, with Cloud9 was. Let's hear it. So my goal with Cloud9 was to have a kind of a, a quiet port in the storm of mm. Burning Man. One thing that we really loved about going to Burning Man initially was there's just so much going on and so much happening that there's always something to do and always something to see and you're constantly being stimulated. The chill zones that you find everywhere are just awesome, I think. That's really kind of the understated side of, of Burning Man is that, you know, amid all this cacophony of stuff, there's these really quiet, cool spaces all over the place you can go find and just chill out. And I've had some of my best conversations in chill zones because, you know, it's, it's a chance to kind of like bring it down a notch and just interact with somebody. And I always kind of thought that would be great if you had that, but you could move around. So when we first started thinking about Cloud9, comfort was key. And making it really cozy and relaxing was a, a big priority. And every year that's been a priority with, with the cloud and, and making it comfortable. And we, we have a small sound system and we play kind of soothing music. And I think that's one reason why people like it so much is that it's a good place to kind of come and chill and talk and... Decompress. Decompress a little bit, yeah, while not, while not leaving the party. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's so much work. I can't tell you. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know. you know, even I underestimate every year how much work it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Last year, we started working in May, and we did not finish until about 4 a.m. on the Sunday morning before we left for Burning Man. That is a lot of work. might have been actually later than that. But, you know, it's just like so much work that I do kind of question sometimes why am I putting so much effort into this thing. What is new for 2006? Well, I'm always trying to improve the, the look of the car and make it look more cloud-like, fit this image in my head. But for this year, it's going to be pretty simple and just basic mechanical stuff and trying to make it, you know, not, not too much aesthetics. There were some things that didn't work last year. Like we have a, a railing around the second floor, second platform, that the metal was just too thin and people would come up and grab a hold of it and just bend the metal. 
So little things like that have to be fixed and might add some new fun lights to it. We have we have a pretty good light show as it is, but always looking to add some, some new little cool stuff. But hopefully we'll have a brand new, better sound system. That'll probably be the, the most perceptible <laughs> improvement this year. So I appreciate hearing your process about creating the Cloud9. Do you have any adventures or stories about being out on the Cloud9? You know, being out all night and having a great time and having a, a carload of people fall asleep on the cloud <laughs> and then just driving them out to the temple and watching the sunrise oh, and, and wow. having people wake up on the cloud at sunrise at the temple. Just a magical moment. We kind of created this little family for the, for the night and we all shared this this lovely sunrise that hopefully none of us will ever forget. Yeah. You know, that was a good moment. I always kind of like Sunrise on the Playa because, in a way, it's kind of an accomplishment. <laughs> you know, you made it all the way through the night, and there's the sun to prove it. But that does remind me of... Now, the year you and I met at Coachella was 2004, I think. I don't remember. And you know the big chandelier? Yes. Okay, that we met under. Yes. Well... The ironic thing about the chandelier is we would gotten the cloud up and running for a brief period, and we were out taking it for a spin one afternoon, and a huge dust storm came up. And it was only me and three other people on the cloud, and we got completely lost in a whiteout. Before we had to stop, because it was so thick, I spied the giant chandelier, and I steered towards it, but we didn't make it there. Mm-hmm. So... We stopped the car and we were waiting and waiting, waiting for the, cl- the the storm to pass, and it just never did. It was just relentless. We kind of got a little cabin fever or something. Maybe after a half an hour or something, we were like, "Well, I saw some people over by the chandelier. Let's go over there and at least have some company." So we struck out in the middle of a whiteout for chandelier that we had no idea which direction it was <laughs> really, and we wandered around aimlessly and we lost the car, we lost the chandelier. We were like feeling pretty stupid, but eventually. Found the chandelier, found some people, and hung out with them for a little while. And it eased up just enough that we could see the cloud. So we gathered the people that we met, and we all trudged back to the cloud. And we happened to have a little hibachi on board with some hot dogs. So we had a camp out in the middle of a dust storm <laughs> on the cloud. After a half an hour or so, we're eating, you know, totally dust caked hot dogs and everything. The best dogs in the world. The best. The best. Pliified. Totally pliified. The storm let up and we're like, oh, cool. We can get out of here. Go to start the cloud. Wouldn't start. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, shit. So we had to actually walk back to our camp. We had to take the battery. Oh, yeah. What we did, uh, we walked back to our camp, oh, no. got a bicycle, came back to the cloud, put the battery on a bicycle, walked it back home, charged up the battery, and then sometime late, late that night, brought it all back and got it going and took it home. That's kind of the fun that the cloud has been in the past. That's what I meant by my buzzkill question is when it pulls you, it makes you work. When it makes you work like that on, yeah, on you your know, vacation. I, I spent a lot of hours under the hood of that thing and it was very frustrating. Very frustrating. Oh, how did you find out about Burning Man? Well, my friend Dank met a girl in Indonesia and uh, she said that uh, she was going to Burning Man and she invited him to meet her there. And so when he got back to the States, he uh, invited me to go with him. I had heard about Burning Man, but like so many people, I didn't know what the hell it was. And so we went to the website and checked it out together, and it looked wild and wacky and, and fun. So we just, like with, it was probably three weeks before the burn. It was like early August. We just committed to go, and we just bought tickets and went. Didn't really know too much about what to expect. I mean, we we had done the, the 
the website research so we knew to prepare for the weather and things like that. But, you know, we didn't go with a lot of costumes or a bunch of geodesic domes or anything. <laughs> and within the first 12 hours of being there, I felt really comfortable and really, you know, happy to be there. Like I was telling my mom the other day, when I first rolled into the gates at Burning Man the first time and I saw a naked person, I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, that person's naked. They're just walking around. I was like, wow, it's a really big deal. And then by the time we went through the gates and picked out our campsite and got out, half an hour, 45 minutes, I was naked out on the playa. And I'm not an exhibitionist at all. It was just like so comfortable and it just didn't matter. Whatever you're doing just didn't matter, except that, you know, somebody might be interested in, in your own individual take on things. So, yeah, so that that was a real big selling point for me. I was like, wow, you know, I can go and be as weird as I want to be or, you know, as expressive in whatever turns me on. And, you know, there's going to be somebody else doing it better. <laughs> So you mentioned the C word, and it's okay to repeat it if it is the answer to this question. What is your favorite thing about Burning Man? Well, you're trying to bait me into drinking, I know. No, but, no. Um, I'm trying to find out what your favorite thing is about it. Well, I, I think my favorite thing is that I was really impressed and wanted to be a part of this group of people who was really, really smart and really, really creative and had an interest in doing fun things for complete strangers, putting a lot of effort and time and energy into creating new things that really just for enjoyment, just for our amusement, for their amusement, for our amusement. I'm kind of a creative person and I deal with creative people all the time, but our creativity is oftentimes funneled into a job or into a project and it's not really just kind of for artistic sake. The people that I know that are closest to true artists quote-unquote, who are painters or sculptors or people who really have a hands-on, direct experience creating something that, you know, has a, a quick payoff. You know, those people, they still have, oftentimes, a financial goal or a uh, specific payback. payoff that they're looking for. But at Burning Man, there was so much more freedom of expression because there was no nobody lining up to buy what these people had made. These projects were not going to be on display in a museum. They didn't have to please a certain set fixed group of people. It was, you know, really like struck me that these things were really just kind of pure creation, pure creative energy for its own sake. And the fact that there is no kind of overriding structure to what you can or can't create at Burning Man really gives it something really unique because you really can go and be anything, do anything, create anything, and people will come and appreciate it just for what it is. It doesn't have to fit in any sort of context. It's just there. And in my job, I work in film, a lot of times... What I do doesn't see the light of day for years. I can work on a script that won't be produced for seven or eight years. And uh, that's a long time to wait for a payback. What Burning Man kind of made me realize was that I can do something else creative that I'm going to get some feedback on or some kind of creative payback. Some life, yeah. It's going to have its own juice. And that's why I keep slugging away with Cloud9. Because the greatest thing about Cloud9 is that people love it. If you were to ask the community now for 2006. Oh. <laughs> Somebody's paying attention. Uh, All right. You have to drink too. Oh, I do. Yeah. I thought it was just you. Mm-mm. Oh. If you were to ask the C word for 2006 for support and help in creating, getting the Cloud9 to the playa, what would you ask? 
Well, actually, we're having a fundraiser in a couple of weeks oh. um, for the Cloud9, you know, this year. You got the setback with your injury. Yeah, I can't do the work myself, so I actually have to hire somebody to do some of the work for me. I'm hoping that people will come down and volunteer their time or volunteer a little bit of, of money, buy some baked goods that I'm going to make, and help me pay for it. Okay, and this this fundraiser actually I'm involved with too on a, on a, our project I'm involved with, but we'll cover that in a separate podcast. So. Yeah, it's a costume exchange, right? The second annual the second costume annual yeah. exchange party. And let's tell people what they missed last year. Well, it was fabulous. It I'll was fabulous. Yes. We made pie. We made pie. We had a great time. Everybody came away with awesome costumes. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I mean, we all have costumes that we can't wear. Because either we don't like them anymore, or we don't fit them anymore, or we got other costumes that we just got to wear, and we just got too many costumes. So all of us are in the same boat, where we have these fabulous costumes that for one reason or the other, we got to get rid of, or else they're just clouding up our our closets. Storage units. Yeah. <laughs> so the costume exchange party was a great idea. I think it was your idea. Yeah. To get together and just bring whatever you didn't want and put it out there to exchange. We had a great energy and... Great costumes. Great <laughs> costumes. Unbelievable. I got some incredible stuff. Yeah. And actually, we had you know a lot of stuff that we ended up donating to the Venice Carnival and, and to the Playa. We brought a lot of costumes to the Playa. Everybody had such a great time. We decided we'd do it again. And uh, this we're ready for the second one. This year is going to be better than ever. Much bigger. We're going to have DJs. We're going to have raffles. You know, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So... Everyone come. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciated telling, sitting down and telling us all about the Cloud9. My pleasure. I hope everybody comes out and rides Cloud9. And if you can come to the costume exchange party, everybody who comes gets a ticket to ride Cloud9. You have to have a ticket, but we're easily bribable, so, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, yeah, I uh, hope to see everybody making out on Cloud9. My guest has been Loki, owner and creator of the Cloud9 Art Cart. He mentioned the second annual costume exchange and fundraiser for the Cloud9, which will be taking place in Los Angeles on June 23, 2006. For more information about this event, please visit our website, www.burncast.net. You have been listening to Burncast, a podcast about the art, culture, and community of Birmingham. Special thanks to Lecter of NoSpectators.com for hosting these podcasts.